Most of you remember the movie Schindler's List. I remember seeing that thing, and I couldn't believe how really horrible it was. But the thing about it is, no matter how horrible the movie was, real life was more horrible. I mean, we look at that movie, and we go, oh, oh, you can't even want to look at that. Well, that, that's, I mean, that's what it was. The scenes were chilling. There were truck rolls of people being put to death like cattle as the camps, the death showers, the ovens. Worst of all, the ability of human beings to do this without a thought. I just got through reading a book by Edwin Luther, and it's, it's called The Cross of Hitler. And it's how Hitler, when he took over Germany uh, in 32, 33, and then all the way up 39, invading Poland and all that, he changed the people. He, he, he came in, and he basically uh, got the churches to understand and think that he was, he was their savior. And the churches in Germany ultimately over... There was always what we'd call the underground church that stood for Christ. People like Bonhoeffer and those people. But he was able to sway these people. And, and before you knew it, the, the church in Germany uh, had in the churches... They had the swastika in the churches along with the crosses. And eventually the swastika replaced the cross. And Hitler became the savior of Germany. And we could say, how in the world... Could people do that? How could people just kill people? How could people put them in the ovens and gas them? And, and how, how, could they, how could they do that? Well, the word is depraved. It's not a sickness. It's not a disease. It's the fact that we come into this world dead in trespasses and sins. And we're sinners. And even as believers, we have the natural bent to do wrong. Put any of us in the wrong place at the wrong time, what will we do? We're going to do wrong. And if you think you're not, Remember the verse, take heed lest you think you stand, you what? You fall. Don't think, that you're, don't think that any of us in this room are exceptions to anything. You can put any of us in the wrong place at the wrong time, and we're going to mess up. And that's the way it is, because that pull is there. We've got to have the victory. And in Romans chapter 7, where Paul says the things like this, he says, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I want to do, I don't do. He says, what a wretched man that I am. We're capable of anything. So the truth is, though, we can gain the victory. And as we continue in this section, and this is the key, we've got to gain the victory because if we don't, if we don't, Susie just reminded me of a little saying that I say a lot of times, I say if we're not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, we will unconsciously be conformed to this world. You don't even know what's happening to us. We don't even know that our thoughts and views and dreams are what the world has, not what God has, and we don't even recognize it. So as we think through this, we want to look at three things. We've been seeing the promises of God, the provisions, basically the promises from God, the provisions he has for us, and our responsibility. We saw the promises last time, and uh, we went through those, and I'm just going to touch on them very quickly, and then we're going to get into the provisions. But remember the promises, first of all, that God is working in our lives, even, even in the, 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 the bad stuff. God is taking all events, and he's working for good, even when the temptations come. Even when the temptations come, God, God doesn't bring the temptations in our lives because he doesn't tempt us for anything. But when he allows these kind of things to happen, he's working those for good. That's what he's going to do. The second thing is we are accountable for our choices, for our responses. Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived. God is not mine. Whatever a man sows, what? That shall he also reap. If you sow with the flesh, you reap with the flesh corruption. If you sow with the spirit, you reap with the spirit eternal life. That's what he says. Now, we are not victims this is the thing that you've got to grasp when it says we're accountable and responsible. We're not victims. We can't say, I couldn't help it. We can't say, oh, I didn't know what I was doing. You can't say, oh, there's nothing I could do about it. That's just the way I am. We are not victims. We make choices. And that takes us to the third one, that victory is possible. And that, I think I've got the verse. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 
that God will not allow a temptation to come in your life that is beyond what you can handle, but God, with the way, he'll make a way of escape. God is faithful. So the truth is this, that God has promises. He says, even in the bad stuff I'm working, he says, you're accountable. You're not a victim. That's a great promise from God, that you're not a victim. And then finally he says, I have a way out. God is faithful. He'll make that way of escape. That's God's promises. Now, let's talk about the provisions. What has he given to us that we can use so that we can have victory over temptation and over sin? So we're calling it God's provisions. What has God given to us? Now, you have your little handout, and you say, oh, that's already there, but let's think about it. He's given us three things, but there's much more. I'm just pick these three things out for our study. He's given us the Word of God. He's given us the Holy Spirit, and he's given us the armor of God. They all three go together. You've got to know the Word. You've got to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got to put on the armor of God if we're going to have victory. So let's start with the Word of God. Now, none of this is new. You could come up here, and you could take this, and you could say, let me look at J.B.'s notes because I can teach this. You could. Because you're supposed to know this. So let's talk about the Word of God. And let's talk about it's powerful. We, we, when we say it, we, are, we, we, we can say no to temptation and sin. We can have victory because we must go to the Bible. We have in our hands. This is what's so amazing to me when I think about it. And when you think about it. This is not just a book. We know it's the best-selling book that's ever been. It's, it's the best-selling book that's ever been. People, when they say, here's the top, you know, here's New York Times best-selling, here's USA best-selling, here's every, they don't bliss the Bible. You know why? Because it's number one every time. It's, it, it is bought more every day than any other book in the world all the time, and it's been that way for years and years and years and years. So they don't list it. Because if they did, Bible will be number one every time. And when somebody says, this is number one best-seller, you can say, well, it's actually number two. Because the Bible is number one bestseller, okay? So when we think about the Bible, we have God's written revelation in our hands. And that's hard to imagine when you think about it. God is a great God. He has created all things. He's created a world. He's created us, created everything. And he has actually given us revelation. And it's in a written form. Now, Peter, and Peter later on in First Peter, he says, you know, we... Uh, we got to see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. We got to see him look like he was going to look, like he's going to look when he comes as the King of Kings. But Peter said, but I got something better than that. We've got the written Word of God. Because you understand that a vision or a dream or some kind of revelation, that's pretty neat, but that's not as good as the Bible. And you could say, why? why? It seems like if, if Jesus appeared right there and you got to see him, wouldn't that be better than this? And Peter says, no, it's not. Because, see, you could say, was that really Jesus? Did I dream that? Did I imagine that? Was that a demon that pretended to be Jesus? What, how do I know that vision or dream is really from God? I don't know exactly. I think it is. But this, we know, is the written revelation that does not change in any way, shape, or form. We have the Bible. We have to base our lives on the Bible. Think about this. Jesus, when he was tempted, where did he go? The word of God. Where did he go in the Bible? What book? Anybody know? Anybody know? We went over it. Uh, he went to Hezekiah. Is there a Hezekiah? No, he went to Deuteronomy, right? A book we all studied and know very well, right? When we were just deep down, we know Deuteronomy. 
Anyway, there's some good stuff in there. Anyway, we are to base our lives on the Bible. This is God's provision. We look to the Bible. We look to the Word of God. When temptation comes our way, we have to say no based on the Scripture. Remember Romans 12, 2, stop being conformed to the world? That's what it literally says. It says, offer your life as a living sacrifice. Stop being conformed to this world, but be transformed, transformed by the Word of God. And that's the thing I said a while ago. If you're not consciously being transformed by the Bible, putting the Bible in our brain, saying, I'm going to know this, I'm going to apply this, I'm going to, I'm going to live this out. I'm going to, if you're not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, you will unconsciously be shaped by this world. You will. You will. In fact, most Christians are shaped by the world. Most Christians don't have a Christian worldview. They have a, a world worldview. Most Christians do. When people look at us, they can't hardly tell the difference between us and the rest of the world because our worldview is the same. We need a Christian worldview. We need to be transformed by the Word of God because what the Word of God does, it changes us from the inside out. That's what it does. changes us from the inside out. That's what transformed me. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed. Metamorphosis is the Greek word, which we get the word metamorphosis from, which means a change. And this has an idea of a change from the inside out. So how do we use the word? I'm going to go quickly through this because you know this. But if, if the word of God is the key, and it is, okay? He says, here's my provision for you, the Bible. Where did Jesus go? The Bible. Where are we supposed to go? The Bible. So what are we going to do? How do we do it? Well, first of all, we're going to have to know it. We're going to have to know it. We're going to have to know the Bible. We're going to rightly divide the Word of God. We're going to know what's right, what's wrong. We're going to know the Word of God. That's why 2 Timothy 2.15, the place I told you to turn, it says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Remember, your approval is to God, not to other people. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Doing what? Accurately handling the Word of Truth. It literally says, rightly dividing the Word of God. Trans, you you got to know it. It means you've got to study it. we got to dig it. This is why that we always tell you this. You have to have your own quiet time. You have to have your own Bible study time. You have to have time in which you are digging the Bible for yourselves. We also have Sunday morning where we teach the Bible. We also have those classes that we teach on Wednesday nights. And it's so amazing how few people in our church take advantage of those classes. I had a guy visit me from Albuquerque, because he went online, he saw about the classes, and he drove all the way to Albuquerque, from Albuquerque to us, and he said, I can't believe you have these kind of classes at your church. He said, do, do most of the people take them? I said, no, a small percentage take them. He said, I can't believe that. Why wouldn't the whole church take them? I said, I don't know. We ask them to take them, we tell them to take them. We demand that, no, we don't demand, but we want you to take them, Right? Can you believe that? They're thinking about moving here. So he can be involved in our church and take those classes. That's what he said, from Albuquerque. Because he said, I went online, I saw the classes. I saw, he, of course, he agrees with the beliefs, and he, he's a free grace guy. He holds to the grace salvation message. That was one of the first things that he saw. But you've got to study. And so you can take those classes. You can have your own personal study time. You can dig the word so you can rightly divide it. And remember, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. That's who you're looking for approval from when you study the scripture. You want to say, Lord, is this good? I'm trying to put it together. Is this good? No one apply the scripture. Become a disciple maker. So first of all, know the Bible. The second thing is to apply it. 
Philippians 4, 9 says, take what you've been taught and apply these. It's just not knowledge. And, uh, and, and the bottom line is, I, most people think you study the Bible to know the Bible. We know you study the Bible to do what? Make application. You study it so you can put it together, know it, and then make application. Because knowledge by itself always does what? What does knowledge do? Puffs up. You've seen people who are arrogant because they know a lot, but they don't apply it. You don't want to be arrogant. You want to, you want to be wise because knowledge plus application equals wisdom. Knowledge without application is arrogance. It's puffed up. It's prideful. And so we want to apply the Bible. We want to know it. We, we want to study it and know it, and then we want to live it out because that's the key. Philippians 4.9 says, take what you've been taught and, and apply this. The third thing you want to do is memorize it. You've got to memorize the word Psalm 119.11, that word have I hid in my heart that I might want what? But sin against you. So if we're not going to fall to temptation, what does that mean we're going to have to do? That means we're going to have to memorize the Bible. We're going to have to put it in our brain. We have a group of guys that meet on Thursday morning, and we do verses. And we have one page. We call it the blue sheet. For blue sheet has a huge number of verses on it. I've, I've even forgotten the number. And then we have another sheet. There's actually four different sheets. And I think I figured out one time that if, if everybody memorized all, it would be like 500 verses. And so we have a lot of guys that can take that first page, and they can give you every verse on that first page. And I'm not talking... There's probably, there's probably 150 verses on the first page. Who's in our group? Anybody know? Who, who's in my group? Anybody in here in my group? Yeah. How many, how many verses are on that first page? It's a good number, isn't it? Over, way over 100. 31 blocks, yeah. And there's four or five verses on each one. So, so, and some of those that are verses are actually two or three verses, you know. So we want to hide God's word in our hearts, in our minds. We want to say, I want to know this. And so that when you're talking to somebody, you don't say something like, somewhere it says something like this. You want to say, Philippians 4.13 says, you want to be able to go to the Bible and you want to be able to know it. Do you know that people who aren't Christians expect you to know it? They expect you to know it. They think that this is your Bible and this is what you believe and so it makes sense that you would know it. And when you don't know it, and see, there are a lot of the cults. They, they know that most people don't know the Bible, so they come in there with their false teaching, and they fool people because it sounds right, and since they don't know the Scripture. So this is actually saying, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. One of the key things of why to know the Bible is, is so that, and why to memorize the Bible is so it's in our brain, and when the temptation comes, we can be able to deal with it. It's, if you haven't memorized it, you can't bring it back. You just can't do it. So take some time to do it. Listen, there's uh, programs, there's things on people's phones. If you, go to, if you go to our website, our website, our church's website, and go into resources, there'll be a thing that says verses. And all four of the pages of verses are there, and I think they're all typed out and everything. So you can just print some of them. There, all the verses are there. You don't even have to write them down somewhere. They're already there, and you can memorize them. There's one other thing, and that's to meditate. 
Meditate on the Word of God. Psalm 1-2, to meditate on the Scripture. He says day and night. The Bible, the, the Moses told Joshua, and God told Joshua, meditate on the Word of God. And now, meditation is not uh, what we see in Eastern mysticism or what some people think meditation is. I, I've talked to somebody, I asked somebody one time, I said, what, do you, what is meditation to you? And they said, meditation is clearing your mind, just like going, hmm, and I'm just clearing my mind, and then whatever comes in there, I said, let me be honest with you, you don't want what's ever coming in there, right? Let's be honest. Meditation is taking a truth from the Bible and thinking about it, thinking about how it applies. It might even be like saying, study to show yourself approved to God. Study. What does it mean to study? How do I dig it? Study to show yourself. That's me. Approved to who? Approved. And you're thinking through it. So meditation is actually you thinking through what the Bible means. It's sort of like going it over in your mind. And so we're to study it, to apply it, to memorize it, to meditate on it. And, and let me just give you this. Think about why should we do this with the Bible? Well, first of all, 2 Timothy says it's inspired by God and profitable. All Scripture is inspired by God. It means it's God-breathed. It means God gave us this. While we were at the GES conference, we actually got to go up into... There's a, there's a professor at Dallas Seminary that uh, he was kind of famous for knowing Greek and, and his Greek grammar and all this stuff. Well, he's, he's into going all over the world and photos, making digital copies of all the manuscripts. When they first started doing this, when I was in seminary, we used to say there are over 5,000 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. Now they're 5,300 and something. And since he's been going across the world, they have now discovered 75 new manuscripts that they never knew existed. They now have them. While we were there, we got to see a manuscript of the Gospel of Luke that is a 1,000 years old. We, they have it. Now, you can go online, and you can actually see the Greek manuscripts going all the way back to about 150 to 200 A.D. So they're there, and, and it's, it's inspired. It is God's written revelation. Now, you don't have to have the Greek manuscripts to know it because you got it right here. You got it. Both the Greek and the Hebrew have been put together in our Bible. And so it's, it's inspired. It's alive. It's alive and powerful. That's why when you study the Bible and you dig it and you put it together and you go, wow, it, it, it's alive. And you can read it and you can go, oh my gosh, I never saw that before. Isn't that amazing? That you can study a passage over and over and then you'll go, oh, I never saw that before. Because it's alive. It's, it goes right to the heart. Isaiah 55, 11, it never comes back void, but accomplishes a purpose. That means when we're studying 2 Thessalonians this morning, chapters 1 through 5, you might say, does everybody in this room need 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 5? The answer is yes. Because what God's going to do is whatever we're teaching, whatever it says, there are going to be parts of that that's never going to come back void. It's going to accomplish its purpose in your life. And if you're open, if you're studying, if you're looking at it, there are going to be truths from those verses that will touch your life and change you. Now, sometimes we, we're going, is it over? Oh, it's through? Okay. And you're through. But that's fine. But, but the bottom line is, if you're open, it'll never come back void. It will touch your life in the way that God wants to. It says, never come back void, but accomplishes his purposes. Wow. And last but not least, it's the truth. It is truth. We live in John 17, 17. Thy word is truth. We live in a world in which nobody has truth. Well, let me say it this way. Everybody has their own truth. They say, I got my truth. You got your truth. Your truth may be different than mine. Well, that's impossible. If my truth is two plus two is five and your truth is two plus two is four, I may say, well, I think I'm right. Well, I'm not. 
There are certain things that are true and certain things that aren't true. It doesn't matter what you think is true. There are things that are true and things that are not true. And so the Bible is the truth. So we need to study it, memorize it, meditate on it. Uh, It's the most powerful word of God. Now, there's a second, and I'm going to go, we've got just a few more minutes. There's a second aspect that he's given us. He's given us the Bible. He's also given us the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a third one, and that's the armor of God, and that's what we're going to get to next time. But we're to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the application part. This is how you live out the truths of the Word of God. It's not our power. When we say take the Bible and apply that in our lives, it's not in your power that you apply it. It's in God's power. Because he says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. And in Christ, you can do all things, see? So that's is where you make the application part. The Christian life is a walk of faith based on the words of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now think about that. The Christian life is a walk of faith based on the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you live. That's how you live the Christian life. It's not our power, it's God's power through us. We've already seen that the flesh, if you live in the flesh, there's failure. If you live in the Holy Spirit, there's victory. We must live in the power of the Holy Spirit. How does the Bible describe this? It says walking in the Spirit. He says walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Ephesians 5.18 says be filled with the Spirit. People are so confused. What does this mean? Is this some kind of special anointing, as some people say? Listen, the moment you trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you, and He's there. You can grieve the Holy Spirit, and you can quench the Holy Spirit. That means when you get sin in your life, it stops His power through you. When you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you, and you have that power in you. And all you do is say, Lord, use me for your glory. I want to live by the Bible in your power. And he'll give you the power. The power is there. It's not something you have to ask for. You already have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. And so he says, walk in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. That's what he's talking about. The key to the walking is is that we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When you're living in the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Look at this one right here, Romans 8. In order that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, it didn't say by us. Notice this. The requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. didn't say by us. But in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the what? To the Spirit. It's God in you, the hope of glory. It's God's power in each of us to live for his honor in glory. And so what do we do? How do you make sure, how do you make sure you're walking in the spirit? What do you do? Anybody help me? How do you know you're walking in the spirit? Huh? What, okay, number one, what, Gene's right, you, you, you live according to the what? To the scripture. First of all, confess any sin. If there's any sin or anything in your life, confess it. He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you all in righteousness. That means you're back in fellowship. That means you're abiding with him. That means the Holy Spirit's power is available in a sense to you. And so you deal with any sin. And then you look at the scripture, which you know, which you've memorized, which you're going to apply, which you've meditated on. You're going to take that scripture and you're going to live your life based on the scripture. Isn't that it? Isn't that walking in the Spirit? Isn't that what it is? God's power through you. A walk of faith and the power of the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God. Notice what it says again. It might be fulfilled not by us, but in us. 
who do not walk according to the flesh, not living according to the flesh, but living according to the Spirit. Confess sin, offer you. Listen, let me tell you this. When you get up in the morning, you might say, okay, Lord, uh, if there's any sin in my life, I confess it right now, whatever you think of. And then you say, Lord, take my life today and use me for your glory. Just take my life. Wherever I go, whatever I do, whatever I, say, I want to live, I want to live by the Bible. I want to be your representative. I want my life to count for you. If you do that, that's walking in the Spirit. He will empower you. So, live by the Word. There is one more provision, and it's really, it's really a key. And people miss this one, but here's the third one, and that is the armor of God. Now, we're going to take a couple of weeks real quickly to look at the armor of God um, it, because it's just so vital but in, in Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, we won't even start on it today. We'll see that next time. But what do we see? God has provision for us. He's given us the Bible. We have to study it, apply it, memorize it. We're to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, those kind of things. So let me give you some applications before we go to our grow groups. Let us understand that God has made provisions for us to have victory over temptation. Just understand that. He has provisions for us to have victory. As we think about that, then let's use the Word of God to have victory. That means you've got to study it, you've got to apply it, you've got to memorize it, and you've got to meditate on it. Listen, please don't say you can't memorize. You can. You can. You can. I mean, I know it's, sometimes it's harder. For some people, it's harder than others. Some people, it's easier than others. But you can memorize. I mean, you, you memorize things all the time. You know your phone number. Well, maybe you don't. But anyway, it's just buttons nowadays. It used to be you knew numbers, you knew everything. But you can do this. You can put God's Word in your mind. You can meditate on it. You can apply it. So let, let's, this is the victory, the Word of God. And let's, let's live in the power of the Holy Spirit so we can have victory in temptation and we are filled by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and we can have victory.